This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullion Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder. From the Chicago Tribune at House Hall in a coat closet, at least he's safer than driving behind the wheel today. We are here on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us on 670 Scores YouTube page. Download, subscribe, and of course, listen. Dan, so the day after, a lot of questions surrounding the injury status of Justin Fields. Let's just start right there before we move on. What did you hear from Matt Eberflus today about Justin's status? Yeah, just straightforward to the point. Uh, the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears is doubtful to play on Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders at Soldier Field. Uh, the thumb dislocation that he suffered while being sacked in the third quarter on Sunday against the Vikings is causing him much difficulty gripping a football. And it seems like the, the functional strength needed to not only grip a football, but to throw it, to hand it off, is something that they're going to want to keep uh, monitoring as they go forward. I think Matty Berflus was direct in saying that it's doubtful that he'll play this week, which opens the door for Tyson Bajan to make his first career NFL start. But the Bears are hopeful in the days and weeks ahead to get an idea of just how quickly Justin can recover, how soon he's going to be able to, to grab a football. I will say that while Matty Berflus said that the results of the MRI, as far as he knew, um, gave him some optimism about the, the damage inside his hand, he also didn't take off the table the idea that that Justin Fields could be headed for surgery. So at the end of the week, we should have better answers on that bigger picture range of things. But I think for the short term, when you're talking about week seven against the Raiders, it's Tyson Bajan time. All right, let's start to look at some of those ramifications of that reality in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. Okay, so who mentioned surgery? <laughs> that came up, and I think that's always been on the table, I, I suppose, but... When you say about an injury that you're not ruling out surgery, I think then you start to go the other side and say, well, wait a second, that could be pretty serious. That I know, I know we're that's a, getting ahead of ourselves, Dan, yeah. but I guess that's one of the range of outcomes um, without knowing so. But that would, that would certainly change the season if it hasn't already been dramatically changed and altered because of what happened yesterday. No, I think it is. I think it is dramatically altered, uh, not only because of the injury, but where the Bears are at. They're one in five, and that whole notion of keeping the season alive for anything more than just uh, growth monitorization is 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 off the table. They're not going anywhere. There's no chance that they can even inject fake relevance back into the season over the next two-plus months. And so um, now you have to, to kind of redefine where your bullseyes are. And organizationally, one of the, the biggest bullseyes we had coming into this season is to figure out where this team stands at the quarterback position going into the 2024 offseason, which now progressively seems like it's getting more and more landmark 
by the day. Uh, obviously, it'd be a worst case scenario if fields were lost for the season. I think that, that everyone inside this building would like to have the clearest possible evaluation of his growth as a quarterback. And it's part of the reason why yesterday was so discouraging that before the injury, Justin was struggling again as a quarterback. The offense was struggling again to move the football with a, uh, regularity and consistency. And so you're, you're back in this confusing area again that opens up a whole set of conversations that you don't really want to be having, but you have to have. And now, as you mentioned, David, again, like the, the, the lack of clarity on a recovery timetable um, only puts you in, in a greater sense of flux. I just think that what this does is that it puts an asterisk on, on everything that happens after this, this point, because, you know, he, if he struggles when he comes back, there's always going to be, well, you know, he's not a hundred percent and he can't grip the ball. So he can't, really fully evaluate how accurate he is or what he does. And, and I think that if I'm him, I'm very conscious of that. And I do wonder how that will play into his um, recovery time and absence. And, and I just think that it's unfortunate because this bear season, you don't want to be over dramatic, but it may have for, if you're, if your main purpose was to evaluate your quarterback in year three of Justin Fields' career, then for all intents and purposes, I'm not sure that you're going to get a true evaluation moving forward because what happened yesterday when he left the field kind of changed the, the trajectory of, of the year, of his year specifically. I mean, are you saying that you can't get a clear evaluation for the remainder of the year because he hurt his thumb in week six? Possibly. Yes. Yeah, I would push back on that. My goodness, like if if, if your quarterback suffers a one thumb injury and it and it and it inhibits your ability to get a a comprehensive assessment of who he is for the remainder of the season, you've got bigger problems than you knew of. I think right now you have to zoom out and and understand where you are. And I, I'm I'm going to open up a discussion here in a minute that that will be interesting on multiple levels. Um, but like, I, I just like, you have to see where you're at overall. I, I don't think there's ever an opportune time for, for these things to happen, but I think now you have a door opened that was going to open at some point this season. I think we all would have agreed when the season began that Tyson Bajan was going to make at least one start as a rookie. Well, it's coming this week. And depending on how he plays that week, depending how if he gets any more opportunities beyond Sunday, um, you're going to have a better picture of of what your actual quality depth is in that room as well. And then that will help you also inform the directions you might want to turn uh, with Justin Fields. I suppose I, I think that that maybe uh, the way I'm framing it is a little bit more pessimistic and I don't want to be, you know, that guy, but I, but I do wonder that, you know, when the range includes surgery and if it's a dislocation and swelling today prevents probably a full picture of what it is and, and how severe it might be. I, I just wonder only because we've seen it so often there's injuries become crutches and they become um, uh, reasons for, to explain, um, guys falling short of their potential or not being able to do this or that. And I just wonder how in the final analysis, this injury will be used uh, as an explanation for why he did this or didn't do this. How did you feel about Patrick Mahomes' health at halftime of the Super Bowl last February? I, th I, I think it's fair. That's, that's a fair, that's a fair question. Um, 
I don't think we're dealing with Patrick Mahomes here. I think he. No, I know, but I, but, yeah. but that probably tells you a little bit about. Yeah, I mean, look, like we knew coming into this year that durability was going to be an issue and has been an issue for Justin Fields since he's been in the league. He has yet another injury that's going to force him to miss yet another start. This is part of the equation in evaluating this quarterback. Look, it didn't happen on a scramble, but it happened when one of his biggest weaknesses was exposed, which was not having the pocket presence and poise and the time clock in your head to get rid of the football or get the hell out of there. you know. And so when you get sacked after 6.1 seconds uh, of holding the ball after the snap and you try to throw the ball away, which I think maybe you had mentioned on Sunday night was a reason that that the, the, the landing was as awkward as it was, um, you're staring at a situation that that you know you, the injury was created because of mistakes you made playing the position. It wasn't just a fluky. Oh man, that's un, unfortunate. Right. He got rolled up on, you know. And so that I think that becomes part of the evaluation of who you are as a player in this league, particularly when a team is staring down the barrel of having to make a decision in the 2024 offseason of are they going to guarantee you 25 million dollars for your fifth season. You know, in, in 2025, right now, I mean, you've just made the face. No chance, right? No like, chance. And so so, so sometimes we, we can complicate these evaluations more than they need to be complicated. True. That's a good point. That's good. I think I would almost feel better about it if, if you know, we're kind of looking at the the, uh, the anatomy, the, the anatomical chart. If it were if it were a foot injury or leg injury, I might feel better about it than if it were a hand or shoulder injury. I think if his throwing mechanics were not altered by this this injury potentially, uh, but only maybe his ability to run or to do things we know he can do, escape and those kinds of things, I might feel better. I just feel like maybe this is cynical, and I, I'll acknowledge it is, that if he doesn't reach a point in terms of being a polished passer – that this may always be something you look back to as a reason why, because he took a step back when he hurt his thumb in week six. So let me open up this conversation to you because I think it'd be interesting to discuss for a minute. In 2019, I vividly remember a Monday at Hallis Hall where the Trubisky storyline was going down such an obvious path that that you know I kind of hit wit's end with some of the conversations we were having uh, locally about where things were headed. It was coming off that painful home loss to the New Orleans Saints when the Saints came to town without Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara. We've brought that up in many different contexts. And I had um, gone on the air at some point to to proclaim that it was over for Mitch Trubisky. And our, our good friend, Rich, Rich Campbell, uh, laughed at me at our cubicles here inside this building at Hallis Hall saying, my God, you just pronounced Mitch Trubisky's career as a bear dead. And I said, yeah, I think I did. I think I did because I think that there has been so much evidence that has stacked up to show you where this is headed, that the idea of him having some magical emergence as the guy that can be a second contract Bears quarterback and lead this team to championships multiple up the road is so slim that, that I think we've reached that conclusion. Well, the reason I bring that up today is because I look Looked it up. That was on October 21st of 2019. It was in week seven of Mitch Trubisky's third season. It was after 31 Mitch Trubisky starts. Well, then I looked over at my calendar. Today is October 16th. It is week seven of Justin Fields' third season. He has made 31 career starts. Am I ready to make the same per- proclamation with Justin Fields I'm not I'm not as as definitive as I was then but it's an interesting inflection point and a a time period in a quarterback's journey where there is such a large body of evidence piled up here that I think sometimes we're trying to see things that could be rather than see things that are I think that's a good way to put it number one I would write that I would get that in the (laughs) chicagotribune.com as soon as you can because I think that's that's a really interesting comparison 
And, and I do feel the similar, I don't want to say fatigue, but I, but I do feel like it's almost at the point where you want to have some resolution or clarity about the future and you think that you have it. So I, I'll, I'll maybe, uh, I'll resist, you know, declaring anything. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't think we want to be those guys or, you know, notice me. I am declaring the end of the Justin Fields uh, era. Let's have a parade and all the other things. But I will say this. I, and I, hell and no, I, have, I won't have a parade for that because that's that's a depressing no, that, thing. No, that, that's, really, that's really disappointing. But, but I think, you know, people want to be first at everything. I think somebody will want to be first at declaring that. I, I did have this say this out loud this morning. I don't think it was on the air. So, uh, but uh, but I, do, I, I <laughs> it do, is now. It is now. I, I wonder. I wonder if somebody were to ask me, you know, today, or if I had to check a box, who is more likely to be the Bears' quarterback in 2024 in Week One, Caleb Williams or Justin Fields? I'm not sure which way I would answer. I think I might be more inclined to say Caleb Williams at this point, and I and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and do the draft thing, but it's kind of related to what you're saying. If you have decided that the bears likely are going to be moving on from Justin Fields and here we are on October 16th. And this is the you know conclusion that we reluctantly will, will, will form. Then I could see that. So I understand the, I understand the conversation and I think it's, it's, it's interesting comparison because I've always not wanted to compare the Trubisky era with the Justin Fields project. But I do think that there are parallels that you just point out well. Well, also this. Remember, we talked about some of those statistical benchmarks that we were going to set for Justin Fields. Why don't we get a couple weeks down the road? We'll see if he's able to return and add to his statistics in any way, shape, or form here. And when we get to that second mini buy, maybe after they play the the Panthers uh, in that Thursday night game, we'll go back and look at, at the 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 – the, the bar that we set and, and what Justin's on pace to do. I think the reason you set those parameters is to give you an idea of like what would be, um, you know, realistic and notable progress. And if you're falling short of a bunch of those, then I think all of a sudden the arrows point you in a direction that, that tells you which way the, the, the maze, the, the, the outside of the maze is right. Like the whole point is to get out of this maze. And if you have clues on how to get out of it, you should take them. We'll break down his game, what he did before he left, and also Tyson Bajan's game in QB1 segment. Before we get there, Dan, two other things I wanted to touch on that happened at Howells today. Number one, finally, they named a defensive senior analyst, Phil Snow, former uh, Panthers defensive coordinator, well-traveled football lifer. He takes over or assumes the role. I don't know if they have talked about specifics, but Phil Snow is a member of the Bears coaching staff. Yeah, Matt Eberflus has spoken about how he hopes that Phil Snow will be able to help them in their their advanced scouting and and preparations for future opponents. Uh, He will be in contact with the coaching staff during the week, capable of uh, coming into the building and and providing some input and some analysis. Will not be in attendance at Chicago Bears games, won't have a headset, won't be part of that whole operation and routine. And so now this, this long teased uh, development on the coaching staff, which obviously became a little bit more of a necessity when Alan Williams abruptly resigned last month now has a name and a, a body and a, a person that's going to fill that role. And we'll see how much of a difference it makes. Obviously the bears defense played better on Sunday against the Vikings. It's one of the unfortunate storylines that we won't talk a lot about because another loss is added up and because of, of what's happening at the quarterback position. Well, the defense held the, uh, they were able to limit the opponent to 220 yards offense. And when you do that, I think that 
it's the one in four, according to Brad Biggs's research, in the last five times they have done that since 2019. That says the offense is broken more than it says anything about the defense. But yesterday was a good day for the defense. I think they took a step forward. Good for Phil Snow, who has the ideal name for a coach in Chicago. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, I think probably the other thing you were going to get to is the the update on Nate Davis. Maybe that's yeah. a different one. Nate Davis, high ankle sprain. He'll be out for the foreseeable future. Unfortunate setback for a guy who hasn't really been able to get on steady ground since becoming a bear in the spring. And just while we're on the topic of the offensive line, uh, the possibility of opening the window for Braxton Jones to return off IR is now uh, Matt Eberflus did not sound optimistic on Monday that that was uh, a situation like it was with Tevin Jenkins or Kyler Gordon, where you could hit that four-week window and it was full steam, let's go, let's get those guys back in the field right away. Still feels like maybe they're sorting through some things with the neck injury that's got Braxton Jones on the side. By the time the Bears are able to get all five guys that they envisioned starting on their offensive line healthy and together, their season it's will over. be it's over. And it will be kind of a, a moot point. All that time and effort and energy – devoted to doing that will be all for naught because they really never played together long enough to matter. Well, now you got to go out in your backyard this evening and practice your shotgun snaps and see if you could maybe come out for a tryout. Um, probably have to, to to bulk up a little bit, but I, I mean, there's desperate I want times. no interest in I want no interest in playing offensive line. Desperate times. Now you, you all you got to do is snap and then just I, get out of the way. I, I don't. You know, I think that we can. It's easier to criticize bad snaps than to make them because I can make plenty of those. Um, but what is the deal at center? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? And and any more clarity about the you know, look, Biggs and, I, Biggs and I went back and forth on the radio this morning. I, I, I under, I respect where he's coming from, and the the line calls were a problem with Cody Whitehair, and that's why Lucas Patrick went in there. I pushed back a little bit and said, you yeah, know, yeah, it had to be something to do with the execution of of the snap. But what what did you learn from Matt Eberflus on Monday? Not a lot more. Um, you know, s- similar. Uh, rhetoric in terms of man they just wanted a guy with more experience there to help them handle all the things that they were seeing but again like i i push back on that because you went into otas and you went into minicamp and you went into training camp with cody whitehair as your preferred center so then they get to the middle of the season and be like ah we just prefer someone with a little more experience there makes no sense to me it makes no sense to me because when you proclaim a guy your front runner at the the starting center position back in the spring and the summer and, and into the early fall you're saying that you trust that he can handle the most complex things that the NFL sport has to offer. And, and like to kind of, to, to reverse course on that is crazy. The, the, the crazier part, David, is then Lucas Patrick came in and made a handful of Aaron snaps himself. He did. It, it, I like, know. It, the, the, it was not a wet day out there. It was not a crazy day out there. And the, just the, the, the basic routine of making a simple shotgun snap seemed to be, uh, uh, have a degree of difficulty that, that was mystifying. I think it was uh, Courtney Cronin from ESPN that went and actually did the math and, and revealed on her Twitter account that when you do that, Cody Whitehair has 2,000 more snaps, I think, roughly than Cody, than uh, than Lucas Patrick. And so this idea about having more experience kind of was a little nonsensical to, to begin with. So I, I don't know where they're headed with that, but that was kind of embarrassing. If it happens once, fine. If it happens six times, I don't think that you can really explain it away. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Last thing before we move on, Jalen Johnson was at the podium, and I think I heard him reciting the quarterbacks that he has played with <laughs> as a Chicago Bear. He's much too young to have that much experience with that many bad quarterbacks. He's in his second month of season four with this team, and Tyson Bajan would be the seventh different man to get under center to start a game at quarterback for the Bears if that goes in that direction today. It's Trubisky, it's Foles, it's Dalton, it's uh, Fields, it's Peterman, and uh, who else am I missing in there? There's somebody else in there that I'm leaving out. Uh, Bajan would be the next one, and and it just, uh, it, it's just – it's crazy. It's crazy that we're, we're, we're down this path again. Um, I did think Jalen made a really good point on saying that he was asked directly by Patrick Finley of the Sun-Times on how a team emotionally handles – uh, the idea that their starting quarterback may be out this week and potentially longer. And he said, look, like we're not in a position right now to be getting caught up in emotions or worrying about who's starting at quarterback. We're a one in five football team that wasn't winning with, with the starting quarterback we did have. We have to take care of uh, each individual person's role. It's got to be head down, nose to the grindstone and, and, and just do something on your individual part to try to win a football game. And all that other stuff is just um, something you don't, in Jalen's words, you don't got time for it, you know? And, and so uh, this is part of the, the situation that they find themselves in. And, and, and unfortunately, as you mentioned, yeah, Justin, I'm sorry, Jalen will, will be potentially playing another game as a Chicago bear with another quarterback who was added to that long uh, team photo of, of guys to make at least one start for this team. And I thought he played well. I thought he played physical and I thought he had some good moments. Um, and, and that's what you would expect from him, especially in a game where the Vikings did not have Justin Jefferson. Yeah, no, I, like a couple of the notes that I made defensively in my rewatch on Monday morning was that you felt Jalen Johnson and you felt TJ Edwards. There were two guys that didn't just contribute, but you felt them. You felt their their contributions and their presence out there. Again, you mentioned some of the yardage. The Bears only gave up 58 yards after halftime. The, the Vikings were 0 for 6 on third down in the second half and had four three and outs. I mean, that's winning football on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, if only the Bears could have put together an offensive uh, performance that was uh, in line with that, we could be having a whole different conversation right now. All right, let's discuss the quarterback situation in our QB1 segment. All right, Dan, so rather than go to category by category, because I think that we had two quarterbacks who fit the role of QB1, I think we should just take a one at a time. Let's start with what Justin Fields did, good and bad, and then we'll get to Tyson Bajan because there's some thoughts I think I want to explore there. Um, you know, when the, the fact of the matter is, you know, when Justin Fields left the game and holding the ball 6.1 seconds, it kind of exposed his biggest weakness, and it came back to hurt him. He leaves the game 6-10. 58 yards, four sacks, 39 yards was his long completion, which was a beauty, um, and a passer rating of 36.7. That's just not acceptable uh, for a starting quarterback where he is and what he had accomplished in the previous two games. I wonder what your biggest reason you think was what, why he struggled to the extent he did. Well, I'll tell you what I was bothered by most first, and it was that you saw the injury coming because as the second half began, you could see that Justin wasn't in 
the proper headspace to handle what was being thrown at him in terms of pressure and handling the pressure and keeping eyes up and making sure that you're still being a quarterback first before you become a runner. And so a couple plays before uh, he was injured, he got out on a tuck and run scramble and he was thrown to the ground by Daniil Hunter on one of his shoulders where from the press box, I leaned over to Colleen Kane and said, man, like that's exactly the kind of play you get hurt on because you're prioritizing your escapability over trying to make plays in the pocket. A couple plays before that, there was a, another tuck and run. And so from the outside of the second half, it, it had become clear that the passing game was uh, again malfunctioning, you know, and when the passing game malfunctions and the quarterback goes into that, um, into that mode, right? And this is the thing I know I can rely on. Well, now it, it does everything that we were worried it does, and it exposes you to hits. He finally stays in the pocket on the play he gets hurt on, and then he lands awkwardly because the ball's not out on time. He doesn't see a potential open receiver in DJ Moore curling in an open zone down the field. He doesn't see a check down valve in Darrington Evans on, along the left sideline, which is goes back to a thing that we talked about last January on like, man, like just if it's not there, get that hit that check down and live to see another play. It doesn't go there and he's hurt. And so I was just bothered by how different it looked from Washington. I think a lot of that is is because Brian Flores comes at you with a lot of different looks. And we talked in our preview podcast about what the, the Blitz and the Buccaneers did to Justin Fields and how uncomfortable it made him. It was the same situation on Sunday. Justin doesn't handle pressure well. He doesn't handle his own defense as well. The Vikings gave him a bunch of both, and it was a mess. It was a mess. And I think Matt Bowen's numbers and, and film study revealed that Brian Flores blitzed over 70% of the time. And when you think about that, you know, seven out of every 10 snaps, here come the Vikings and here comes the defense and forces you to process quickly. If that is the book on Justin Fields, it's it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be easy to to move forward with him as starting quarterback of any NFL team. He's got to do better at that. And I think that's the, that to me was troubling. Maybe you could see that coming. I don't think that anybody envisioned him getting injured and leaving, but I do think that you saw him from the first snap and I wonder what happened on the first snap there yeah. was it didn't bode well and, and, and you know it's easy to be critical of Luke Getze and I have been and will continue to be because I just don't think that that you, you can justify having one target for your number one wide receiver in 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 a half after he's coming off the, the games that he did but maybe part maybe there's a a blind spot there something that we don't know about coaching Justin Fields that he makes him consistently unable to diagnose what's coming and that gets in the way too because I, I don't know how you prepare all week you line up in an empty backfield on your first snap and then you get sacked by a pass rusher who's unblocked that well, to me destroys everything about makes you feel like okay everything you prepared for is out the window right now because you are not ready to play so you bring up a very key point on that play and it's that they were in an empty backfield. So you have no extra help. You know what I mean? You've got you've got receivers all over and, and you you're basically trying to block six with five with the way the Vikings align. So pre-step, you have to be aware of that if you're the quarterback. You have to understand I don't have a back to pick up one of these guys. I have to kind of have a sense for where this pressure is going to come from. And I've got to get this ball out quick and I've got to move away from whichever direction the free runner is coming from and throw the ball. And it didn't happen. And again, like I've said, that's a loss of seven on the very first play of the game. And we talked about in Washington that they had, I think, maybe one negative play for the entire first half when they exploded for those 307 yards and, and 27 points. Well, in the first series on Sunday, they had three plays 
for negative yardage, including the, the first play of the game, as you mentioned, with a seven-yard loss that not only was a seven-yard loss, but it exposed Justin to a big hit that you feel. You know, and when you take a hit like that on the first play of the game, you're not comfortable. You you, you don't feel uh, the the quiet mind that you would like to have, like existed at FedEx Field. And so now you're you're just battling that uh, from that point forward, and it never got better from there. And and so these are things that just like man, you you have to have answers for that, and the Bears didn't. So I just curious before we move on to a couple of specifics, like, so where do you stand on the, again, Getsy, I want to believe in, I like what he talks at least to think he was grounded. I don't know because yesterday was a disappointment. Sunday was a disappointment in that. I just don't think that he put his quarterback in the best position to succeed. I think that, you know, these, these formations don't make a lot of sense and I'm not an NFL assistant coach, but I just don't think that they did a nice job of building on the momentum that was established in the previous two weeks. And you know, why, if you have a quarterback that still clearly struggles diagnosing things and you go into a game against Brian Flores from the very first snap, yeah, you put him in a position that he's got to do that immediately. I just, you don't ease into anything. I just don't know that that was handled well by the, by the coaching staff. Well, I, and I, I mean, I quarterbacks think quarterbacks at fault too, but I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to blame the coach as much as, if not more than the quarterback in situations. It's like that. equal opportunity failure, but I think the whole point was to try to ease into it. It was to get a completion that required you to catch a snap and then get the ball out as quickly as possible to a guy that that's open there. And it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. I, I think there are some legitimate points to be made about how DJ Moore coming off such a, a an incredible game doesn't get a few more uh, targets in the first half. Obviously, I think the interception that Justin threw another ish, uh, instance where 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 pressure was not handled well by the blocking assignment. Matt Eberflus emphatic on Monday to say that Darnell Wright, uh, Wright has to handle that that bigger rusher and allow the back to then take the defensive back that's coming off the edge. He said big on big, little on little. That's kind of the rule up front there. And and Justin, you know, looking for a shot play to DJ Moore gets hit. The ball fl- flutters up in the air and it's an interception. David, that was a, a sequence that in my rewatch, I, I starred four times because it's six to six. You're at the end of the first half and you've just gotten a takeaway with your two linebackers combining on a, a strip sack that squirts up in the air and Tremaine Edmonds uh, catches it for what was officially recorded as a fumble recovery. And now you've got a chance to go down on your home field and punch in a score. And instead you respond with a takeaway that the Vikings then turn around and they, they, they march down for a touchdown drive and you just let momentum get entirely away from you at a moment when you could have seized it. And with all the things that go wrong for this team, when you're in a game like that against a mediocre opponent and you have an opportunity there and you fail to seize it well then of course you're going to wind up losing by six points and and dropping to one and five that's kind of what i mean is that you got third and two and you got the opportunity to seize control of momentum and to get points out of that drive that you need points at and it's third and two and i know third and two isn't what it used to be but you are controlling the line of scrimmage so why didn't you just take yeah the opportunity to continue to do that and, and again, it's it's easy when offensive coordinators start passing on running plays and running on passing downs. You start that's that's how you start to coach your way, call plays out of a job, and start to you know volunteer for uh, to be replaced or get one step closer to unemployment. I just think you got too cute. That's a, that's a great example. 
I'm okay with critiquing that example for sure. That's that's one where you say, man, like just just keep moving, just keep moving. You know, get those chains moving and get get a, a field goal at a minimum and a touchdown at the most. In fairness, you know, Justin Fields on the 39-yard completion of Darnell Mooney, he threw it was an anticipatory throw. He saw it happening before it happened. Mooney got open and he delivered the ball, and it was really uh, a reminder of what Justin Fields is capable of. Really, and a reminder of what we saw the previous two weeks for the most part. That's who he can be. I don't know if that's ever who he's going to be consistently, but you get those glimpses and they tease you into thinking that he can be the guy. Well, right. But we're past the glimpse stage. The glimpse yeah. stage was 2022 and it was training camp of 2023. Like we're in the consistency stage now. And until you can uh, check that box, then we're just spinning our tires in the mud. So overall, it was not a good day for Justin Fields. He, he gives way to Tyson Bajan after leaving uh, in the third quarter with 10 minutes to go. I think it was eight minutes left when Tyson Bajan took over. Dan, so a lot of conversation over exactly what he had to offer. 10 of 14, 83 yards, sacked once, long of 24. Uh, he had the bad interception in the end to DJ Moore. He stepped into maybe his uh, follow-through was affected. He had the strip sack fumble where he, the coaching point would be protect the football. When people ask, have asked you throughout uh, Monday how Tyson <laughs> Bajan played, uh, how would you describe that? All right. I have two ways to do this. And the first one, I'm just going to share a conversation I had with Colleen Kane upstairs a little bit ago in regards to, look, like we're going to be writing a lot about Tyson Bajan this week. And I said, we have to be careful here because we're going to just revert back into that mode where – um, we let the undrafted rookie from Division Two off the hook for mistakes that we're going to be killing Justin Fields for. And there's understandable. They're at different stages of their development, and, and that's going to happen a little bit. But you can't get so enamored with the idea of, oh, this is new and this has a chance to be great that you just ignore the idea that the, the guy who came in the game yesterday had five possessions and two of them ended with with costly turnovers that prevented you from winning a football game that you absolutely needed to win. This is not like a, a major condemnation of Tyson Bajan, but I think it's just a, a reminder to to myself and 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 maybe uh, to us collectively as a, as a group of analysts to to see this. Um, through fair eyes and not necessarily like hopeful eyes where it's just, oh, the change of scenery feels good, so we're going to pretend that it's different. Tyson Bajan does a lot of things really well. Um, and I'll turn it over to you, and, and then I'll, I'll kind of describe some of the things that, that you watch with your own eyes with him, and then you hear from people in the building that give him a chance to to continue his development, but let's also not not – prematurely think that uh, one touchdown drive in the second half of a game against the Vikings that's sandwiched between two costly turnovers is a sign of something great and promising. We have no idea. Yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, I, I think that what he's accomplished is, is tremendous in terms of making the team and, and being a backup and, and being able to hold a roster spot in the NFL based on the fact that he's from division two. And I don't want to, I, I probably have overstated the fact he's from division two, but it's we a, all have. If it, it's a difficult jump, it, it's it's unrealistic to think that he would be in a position to lead you to a victory. I think that's what stuns me as much as anything is that the Bears have put him here. I don't think that he is. It's not even. It's not even him. I don't think any undrafted rookie free agent quarterback deserves to be in a spot where a team relies on him to be part of the solution. Um, those guys typically are still part of the problem. And, and I, I think Tyson Bajan had some good moments, but he also had some moments that remind you that, you know, he's, he's not fundamentally sound yet. He's, he's throwing the ball in a ways that um, 
I, I think that he'll get youthful more polish. Mistakes. The yeah, youthful yeah. mistakes, without question. Inexperienced, youthful mistakes. Um, I'll tell you my favorite throw of the day, and it's on the touchdown drive. It's a first down play. They're down near the red zone, and he faces a blitz. And he's got Robert Tunyon off to the right, and 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 he just understands the clock. It's the one thing that we 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 hammer Justin for. It's just understanding how much you have to throw and where the ball needs to go. And he gets it out to Tunyon quick, fast, in a hurry, and takes a big shot right as he delivers it. And Tunyon catches the ball, runs for the first down, and you're like, that's it. Like that's the the the, the gift of Tyson Bajan is the ability to see that, the ability to understand that, the ability to process it and react quickly in a way that gives you yourself a chance to go. That's that's going to be his superpower. You hear it from players inside the building, just the poise and the presence that he has. He's not going to have comic book plays like Justin Fields has had in terms of the the strength and the explosion and the speed and the things that you go, that's, that's superhuman stuff here that like I can only dream of doing. And so now uh, with what weaknesses are there in terms of that regard, you're going to have to make up for with, with some of this presence, with some of this processing speed, with some of this ability to understand mentally where this play needs to be based on what you're seeing defensively. That was a great one. But then this at the same time, the interception to end the game, like I still can't figure out the snap wasn't great, but it kind of discombobulated Tyson to the point where like, I don't know what happened with the way he kind of crow hopped in the pocket and, and moved up into traffic and then, and then just threw a duck. I mean, it was an awful pass that was easily picked off on first down, you know, in that situation, you're at the 35 yard line, live to see second down, man. Like you have a chance to be a hero in your first performance in the NFL. Uh, Situationally, you got to understand that. And I don't know what went wrong fundamentally there that caused him to, to kind of jump up into a way that didn't allow him to get any strength on that throw. It was a rush, rush throw. I mean, I think what happens is that his instincts are above average. And I think his instincts are probably his greatest strength right now. He knows, you know, to get the ball to Tunyon. He knows what he wants to do with it before he catches the shotgun snap and he needs to get the side screen. He does things quickly in his head. But what happens is that I think with young players who don't have the experience and don't have the frame of reference, like, well, the last time this happened, I was able to calm down and have enough time to make the throw and do my follow through. When he had the high snap and he had to step up in the pocket and make the throw to DJ Moore, I think he rushed everything. And so you're not going to get the best pass in that situation. When you rush anything that you do, you're not going to have that. Instincts are above average. Ability, not yet there. You can't expect him to be a guy that's going to be polished. And the Bears are pressed into forcing him into action because they have built the roster this way, which is up to Ryan, which I think is is to Ryan Poles' detriment. This is something that he is not should be a situation that 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 Tyson Bajan is in. He's not Brock Purdy. You know why? Because the Bears aren't the 49ers. That's not an insult to Tyson Bajan. The 49ers were able to provide an infrastructure. <laughs> so all Brock Purdy had to be done have done is plopped right in the middle of this all the weapons, all the protection, had the defense, managed the game, young man, and he did. That's not the case or the job description in Chicago. Well, look, like Tyson's got contagious self-confidence, and that right at this point has become evident because guys feel it. Deontay Foreman was the latest to talk about it on Monday, just saying like he just you just you get around him and and you sense that he feels like he's going to be successful, and that creates a vibe that that that's important to capitalize on. That's going to be another one of those things that has to be fuel for for him as he develops. He's got a very very uh, cool presence about him. It's like it's fun to be around, and that he's going to have to use that. But to your point, there's going to be a lot of uh, growing pains along the way and one of the things i talked about on 670 the score earlier on monday afternoon was is that i don't know 
where this city's patience level and fatigue is right now to endure some of the inevitable growing pains that are going to come. Like, so let's say this is a three week period, you know, like how tolerant are you going to be uh, of, of these mistakes that are, are understandable for an undrafted rookie out of division two, but at this stage of a one in five season for a team that has won once in 300 and thousand days it seems like uh how do you how do you go about just kind of navigating that when the, the patience level and the and the the fatigue are where they're at i'll tell you that's one of the reasons why it, it actually does kind of bother me the situation that he's in a little bit because uh he does have infectious uh enthusiasm or confidence and he does have this sort of uh wide-eyed approach to being the quarterback in, in the nfl he, he's, he seems humble but confident yep. has a good balance but I've been in Chicago long enough to know that, you know, the f- first couple of times, I just don't think he's ready for this. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I mean, and everybody can be, but if he's not able to do or fulfill the promise, so many people want to, are desperate to see him have and succeed. Then I think people turn on him quickly. It's the NFL. It's Chicago. I've seen it happen before. We're going to see it happen again. I hope that he doesn't emerge from this experience. Um, worse for it. And I hope he comes through unscathed, but I, I do worry about that because they're thrusting him into action before he's ready. And sometimes you can ruin a kid that way. I wish there were a couple qualities that you could just lift from Tyson Beijing and put directly into Justin Fields. And two of those things that I would immediately take are that time clock because it's there. It's innate with him. He, he understands how much time he has and where the ball needs to go and how quickly it needs to get there. And then just that, that ability to surf and slide in the pocket. We saw it a couple times on Sunday. The rewatch, there's a couple examples where you're like, that's just beautiful stuff in terms of understanding how to uh, feel pressure instinctively and then slide up from it and then slide over from it and still have an eye on where the ball needs to go. That's something that Justin has struggled with now for three seasons. It would be great if you could combine the two. Um, The other thing I'll say to what your point is, is like, I remember the Matt Barkley era here, right? Like vividly. And there were a couple games where you're like, Ooh, this feels fun. You know, it's a new guy back there and he's having some success and it's who knows, maybe this could be like the, the, the great underdog story that gets unlocked. And then by the last start of his time as a Barry throw, I think he maybe threw five interceptions his last start as a bear. And you go, Oh, of course, of course he did because that's that's where this was headed all along. We just got four weeks of delay before we got there. I do not want Tyson Bajan to become a punchline. I, I think that I love his narrative. I love his story. Everybody's got a role to play. I've said this before in a football city, and ours is kind of to celebrate these stories that are underdog stories and, and to chronicle them as they happen. And Tyson Bajan's, it, it, it's good enough for him to make the roster. Ryan Poles' job should be to protect his team from having to be put in the hands of an undrafted rookie free agent from a division two program. So I just don't think that they have handled this responsibly. They're not equipped to go forward knowing that Justin Fields inevitably was going to suffer an injury. And I think that by cutting PJ Walker, you didn't replace that veteran role that you need on every depth chart. And so I hope I'm wrong, but just the Tyson Bajan will be starting likely against Brian Hoyer. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo will play against the Raiders. We'll look at that later in the week. Before we move on, Dan, anything else about our QB1, QB2, QB whatever? No, we'll have a lot more uh, later in the week. Obviously, I think we'll probably hear from Tyson at some point this week. Uh, I don't know how quickly the Bears will be to go from doubtful to out with Justin Fields. It sure seems like the direction would point us to the point where on Wednesday we should be hearing from Tyson Bajan, but we'll keep you keep you posted in that regard. Bigger star in 2024, Bedard or Bajant? <laughs> Let's finish things up with our two-minute drill. 
The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. All right, Dan. Anything else? Uh, house Hall today. I'm looking through the um, looking. Th- oh, Deontay Foreman's full. Yeah. What do you have to say about his day? 16, 15 carries, 65 yards. You know, from a statistical standpoint, 4.3 yards per carry, he's got to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, well, from the press box, there were a couple of runs, probably maybe three or four, where it, lo- it felt like he was just an inch or two away from breaking something big, and he couldn't get there. And I'd asked Foreman after the game about that, and he said he really wanted to go back on the video and try to look at it. He did get a chance to look at it when we talked to him Monday. He said, look, like there were a couple moments. He, he cited two specific runs um, where, where he just felt like he could have pressed a hole in a different way or, or made it a, a, a decision a split second quicker and that uh, in some ways knocking the rust off after not having played in games so in so long it feels like an easy tweak he can make. And so he feels encouraged that some of those big runs may be there for him uh, here in week seven against the Raiders. Uh, I think if you went back and watched it, it for his first outing, uh, you know, since since the opener really of, of touching the football, he had, a, he had a nice day. And I think a, a nicer day is probably ahead this week. So in terms of Bayless Jones, he had three returns for 90 yards. I think when you look at his role in the jet sweep game, two carries, 15 yards. They seem to be wanting to incorporate him more into the offense or giving him more opportunities. Uh, Do you think that's a good idea? Gave him a couple pitches right out of the backfield yesterday. I I mean, look like, yeah, I'm for it because he he has to serve some function. You know, you drafted him in the third round. You kept him on the roster for a reason. He's got to do more for you than just take a couple of kicks every game. He can't handle punts for you. You've decided that emphatically. And so, yeah, you better you better find ways to get the ball in his hands, particularly with Chase Claypool sent out of town and Equinemius St. Brown and IR. Uh, The door opened yesterday for both Valus and Tyler Scott to to, to see the football a little bit more. Both those guys are going to have to continue to grow second glance at the game revealed justin jones played pretty well the three technique tj edwards led the team in tackles both those guys probably stood up but you know who else had a strong day very quietly because of the bear i know they were in dime packages i think maybe eight to ten snaps but jack sanborn flew around and was noticeable and i want to give him credit for having a pretty good day as well I wrote, I told you earlier, I wrote down in my notes, felt Jalen, felt TJ. And then in the margin, I wrote a bit of Sanborn too, because I think there were a couple moments there uh, where he just made really good plays, you know, and it, that's the defensively overall, David, you looked at it and you just, the, the detail was there. It's We've heard it for months. Oh, we got to be on the deal. It was there yesterday. They felt like they were playing with some cohesion, the swagger built within that performance. And you hope that it can be built on because again, that, that second half was, was dynamic. Again, the Vikings finished two for 13 the entire day on third downs and 220 total yards and those three three and out or those four three and outs in the second half when you were trying to mount a comeback were absolutely huge it's just a, a shame the offense couldn't get more out of it eddie jackson played 12 snaps matt Eberflus said he could have returned if they needed him i think they <laughs> needed him but that's beside the point what's his status you think don't know right and I, it's certainly not ideal when a guy coming back off an extended layoff only gets a little bit of a ways into the game and it's like ah, i can't really can't really go any more than this. And I, I we'll keep our eyes on it because it's been a, a long time since Eddie's had a, a, a string of, of playing uh, well for a long period of time here. And I, I was rooting for him on Sunday and obviously he didn't get the volume that, that, that you would have hoped. And how about a shout out for Rasheem Green? Two blocks now. He blocked <laughs> PAT yesterday. He's got something that in terms of his technique, I think he told Brad Biggs the swim and move something about the swim. It's all about the swim. But he has something that works, and he has two blocks. 
Yeah, I mean, that blocked extra point was potentially really, really meaningful if the Bears could have gone down and got that score late. Uh, you're looking for little contributions wherever you can find them. This team is a very thin margin for error. Anything you can do to give yourself a little bit better chance of winning a football game, you have to celebrate. That's a good, uh, good acknowledgement there by you. All right, anything else we need to, before we wrap up, get to? I don't think so. That's pretty comprehensive for uh, a Monday of a one and five football team. <laughs> I mean, my God, Mike, I, I, I just hope that our conversations will, will veer in directions that feel a little bit more fun because I, I, last week was pretty cool. Like we had a lot of good things to talk about. I hope so, because you know what? If it doesn't, we're going to add a hockey segment and every <laughs> week we're going to have a Bedard versus Bajent comparison. So maybe we can do that starting next Monday if things don't turn around quickly. But OK, we will be back. On Friday morning, before the Bears-Raiders matchup, we'll predict uh, who will win that game. We'll give you all that we can in terms of an update on Justin Fields. And certainly take a look at the Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo. Hopefully he can play. He got some news today that makes you think that's possible. If not, it'll be Brian Hoyer, the ex-Bear. And that would be one heck of a matchup. Brian Hoyer and Tyson Bajan, only a matchup that every Bears fan could love. Yeah, we'll have to revisit all of Brian Hoyer's starts as a Bear, and we'll have a whole segment devoted to that. That'll be thrilling uh, podcast audio for our audience, and uh, so be, be, be ready for that because that'll be I, fun. That'll be, I, can't, I can't wait, Dan. Brian uh, Hoyer did throw the pass, uh, David, that uh, – or didn't throw the pass to a wide open Alshon Jeffrey in the Lucas Oil Stadium press box that created the whole conversation that caused John Fox to refer to it as the hot dog laden press box and say, yeah, of course you looked open from the hot dog laden press box. Uh, so Brian Hoyer is, is peripherally attached to a very memorable moment in Bears media history. I remember that. What year was that? Was, that 20, was, I, at 20, the, 20, was I asked that question? 2016. We'll have, we'll have to look, we'll have to look I'll up. I'll do this. some research on that yeah. one. I remember I, I kind of miss Foxy or not. <laughs> All right, for Dan Weeder, I'm David Hall. You're listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Great talk. See you out there.